Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders who hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and hosted by myself, Sina Sadzadeh. This week, I'm joined by Tessa Clark. Tessa is the co-founder and CEO of Olio, an app tackling the problem of waste in the home and local communities by connecting neighbors with each other and volunteers with local businesses so that surplus food and other household items can be given away, not thrown away, and so that everyday items can be lent and borrowed instead of bought brand new. Olio has grown to over 6 million users in 63 countries and its impact has been widely recognized, most notably by the United Nations who highlighted Olio as a beacon for the world, and by Viatech who awarded Olio the next European unicorn. Last summer, Olio announced it had raised a $43 million Series B to finance its international expansion. Prior to Olio, Tessa had a 15-year corporate career as a digital managing director in media, retail, and financial services sectors, and she met her co-founder, Sasha, whilst they were studying for their MBAs at Stanford University. Tessa is passionate about the sharing economy as a solution for a sustainable world and all about profit with purpose as the next big business paradigm. So in this episode, in line with Veganuary, Tessa and I discuss food waste, the future of food, circular economy, scaling your business, and the impact of community. Hey, Tessa, how are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very good, thanks. It's amazing to finally meet you. I've been in, you know, I've had a similar business when I was at university, like helping businesses redistribute their food and I yeah, it's very very cool for me personally to to meet you because when Olio came along, they they did it at scale. It's very very cool to, and I can't wait to hear your story. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I guess like firstly, let's start off with how have the last like twelve months been for you? I'm, I'm smiling because it's hard to remember twelve months ago. It feels like such a long time. Um, a bit of a roller coaster, I'm sure, as it has been for everybody. Um, two reasons for that really. So first of all, obviously, kind of what's going on in the broader market um, in terms of sort of meltdown in the tech world. And that has certainly made us rethink about our investments and the pace at which we're making them. Uh, And then also as an organization, we've been going through what I think is called kind of the messy middle, which is that period between being a startup, a a sort of scrappy generalist startup and a much more specialized scale up. And we've spent sort of this year really working through that that transition. That sounds amazing. I mean, yeah, I'd love to dig into that deeper. So before we do, though, it would be amazing to talk about the issue of food waste. So like, I guess, why Olio started in the first place. So tell us more about the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah, so food waste is one of the largest problems facing humanity today. And sadly, most people don't really know about it. So very briefly, globally, a third of all the food we produce each year gets thrown away which is worth over a trillion US dollars. So right there, you've just got a chronic sort of marketplace failure, I guess, if you like. Alongside that, we have widespread hunger. There are over 800 million people who go to bed hungry every night, and they could be fed on just one quarter of the food that we waste in the Western world. And um, when we sort of talk about hunger, it's easy to assume that it's something that's taking place somewhere else, perhaps on another continent, but actually hunger is sadly prevalent here in the UK as well. So even before COVID hit and the cost of living crisis hit, we had 8 million people in the UK living in, in food poverty. So we've got widespread waste, we've got widespread hunger, and then the environmental impacts of food waste are absolutely devastating. So if it were to be a country, food waste would be the third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions 
after the USA and China. And that's because a landmass larger than China is used every single year to grow food that's never eaten. And what surprises most people is to discover that actually the vast majority of food waste in a country such as the UK actually takes place in the home. So half of all food waste takes place in the home and just 2% of all food waste takes place at a retail store level. And the reason for that is very simple maths. There's roughly 28 million households throwing away roughly 20% of the weekly shop in comparison to tens of thousands of stores throwing away half a percentage point. So that's sort of where we are today. Um, It's all a bit grim. And as we sort of look to the future, we've got another 2 billion people joining the planet. In order to feed us all, we need to increase global food production by over 50%. And right now, we don't know how we're going to achieve that. So this is a kind of a multifaceted problem. As co-founders, we are really, really motivated to solve the problem of food waste at scale because of its environmental impact. Uh, Food waste alone accounts for 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So it's more than the whole fashion industry. And something called Project Drawdown actually recently stack ranked the top 100 solutions to the climate crisis. And in position number one came reducing food waste. And that was above solar power, above electric cars and above a plant-based diet. That's amazing to hear. So when you talk about greenhouse gases when it comes to food waste, are you talking about the greenhouse gases that are emitted in producing that food that eventually goes in the bin? Is that what you're talking about? Or yeah, absolutely. Or is it a, like yeah. breaking down process? So, so well, we're talking about both. So roughly 80% of all the carbon emissions that come from food and food that is wasted it comes from the production process. So that is all the energy and infrastructure goes that goes into plowing and preparing those fields and growing the crops and growing the animals and stuff like that, all the way through to the refrigeration, the packaging, the manufacturing, the distribution. And only 20% of the emissions comes from when it is thrown away. And a lot of that is driven by the fact that when food goes to landfill, which is sadly where most of it ends up when it's being wasted, it decomposes without access to oxygen and it creates methane, which is over 25 times more deadly than CO2. So a lot of people think it's really surprising to discover just how bad for the environment food waste is because food seems very natural. It comes from the planet. It returns to the planet sort of how bad can that be? But a statistic that I recently came across, which I, which blew my brains and I think really helps put food waste into perspective, and that is that the carbon emissions from just one kilogram of food waste, so let's imagine your food waste caddy at home, is equivalent to the carbon emissions from landfilling 25,000 plastic bottles. So how how is the circular economy, the concept of, you know, well, actually, I'll let you define the concept. Mm. So how does, how does the concept of the circular economy solve this issue? For me, the circular economy is all about, um, well, certainly as, as we sort of approach it, is all about making sure that we fully utilize uh, the resources that we already have and that we make sure that things are used rather than wasted. And so for us, that's about... Um, tackling the food waste problem by connecting people with their neighbours so that they can give away their surplus food rather than throw it away. We also now connect people with their neighbours so they can give away rather than throw away their uh, spare household items as well. So think toiletries and cosmetics and cleaning products and light bulbs and packing boxes, books, clothes, toys, all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of really where Odeo started. We have 
very recently launched something called Borrow, which connects people to their neighbours so they can lend and borrow everyday household items rather than buying brand new because we don't all need our own cat carrier or camping stove or disco ball or air mattress or popcorn maker. We should be lending and borrowing those things instead of buying brand new. And that for me really, you know, is what the circular economy is all about, is ensuring that we don't waste things. And waste is not just throwing stuff in the bin. Waste is the hundreds of thousands of items that we've all got in our homes that are not being used. Meanwhile, someone two doors down is buying the exact same item. And the reason why this resource utilization and circular economy thing is so, so, so important is best exemplified by Earth Overshoot Day. And Earth Overshoot Day is the day in the year in which humanity has used all the resources that the Earth can replenish in a year. And back in 1971, Earth Overshoot Day was the 25th of December, which means we broadly used in a year what the Earth could replenish in a year. But this year, Earth Overshoot Day was the 28th of July. And what that means is that every single thing that every single one of us ate billion people are consuming after the 28th of July is net net depletive to the planet. And so everything that Olio is trying to do is trying to move us away from the current model of economics and consumption, which is very linear and extractive and wasteful, to a new model, which is local, sustainable, circular, and and make sure that we're kind of getting maximum utilization out of the world's precious resources. It makes it makes a ton of sense for me. I think anyone listening would it would make a ton of sense for them. And this doesn't go just for food. It goes across the board no. for a like, whole ton of resources. And as you mentioned, you're not just doing food, you're doing other things as well. But what's what's like obvious to me is that although it sounds like an incredibly, you know, beneficial idea for the planet and for everyone involved, what was the sort of like turning point for you as, you know, that is the idea? How did you commercialize that to actually grow in and solve the problem at scale? Well, so you're asking slightly different questions there. So just picking into a couple of those. So in this of commercialization point, that's a really important one. And lots of people look at Olio and they're not clear sort of, are we a business or are we a charity? We are absolutely a business. We're a B Corp. We believe firmly in the power of sort of profit with purpose and how we make money is thanks to the business sort of uh, side of Olio. So we have 60,000 trained volunteers who collect and redistribute unsold food from businesses such as Tesco, Pret-a-Manger, Iceland and many more and those businesses pay us for that service. So at the moment they're paying a waste contractor who will take that food off to landfill, AD or livestock feed. And instead, they're now paying us to make sure that that food is fully redistributed into multiple homes in the local community. So that is the the main way in which we are monetizing. Um, How we have scaled to where we are today, our revenue, you know, we're not yet profitable. And so our revenues, you know, we're not um, scaling off of the basis of our reinvesting our own profits yet, sadly. Uh, So we have had to raise multiple rounds of equity financing, both from classic Silicon Valley style VCs and also a number of impact investors. What's interesting to me is that, okay, so businesses, it makes a ton of sense for them to sign up. They've got ESG demands as well as like, it would actually save them costs, what you just mentioned, like they have to pay someone to take away their waste. When it comes to the other side, so the actual individuals getting involved, 
how important is that sense of like community because obviously you're building in any sense like a marketplace where people can mm. exchange or or like lend out their 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 stuff and also like give out their their spare food so I guess how important is that sense of community is that the, is that the main reason that people sign up yeah it's really interesting because when Sasha and I initially conceived of Olio we approached it with a very sort of rational marketplace type mindsets which is look how inefficient this is and if we can just match these people up then this will solve this inefficiency and this environmental problem what we very very quickly discovered is that actually the beating heart of Olio is not the efficient marketplace it's the community that it creates off the back of that and we have run some research which has shown us that over 40 percent of our users tell us that they have made friends via Olio. 66% of people say that sharing has improved their mental well-being and 75% say it's improved their financial well-being. And consistently, well over 60% of our new signups are coming to us through word of mouth. Plus, we've got a net promoter score of 72. And so, yes, absolutely, the community is the beating heart. The community is what gets people raving about Olio. And what people tell us over and over and over again is it feels really great to share. It feels really amazing to give away something that you don't want or need to someone living nearby who definitely wants it and sadly might even very desperately need it. For other people like listening that either have a business within the circular economy or have an idea of, I guess, moving moving away from that linear sort of way that we operate in that you mentioned before not just in in food but like across the board like it's like fashion is also one that i've seen um but it could it could be anything how how important is it would you say like that that element of community when it comes to building your business model i guess like how how imperative is it to build that in early so in our experience it's been is that, is that to, to like the circular economy would you say yeah so in our experience it's been absolutely crucial and integral to our growth so in the very early days when we had no capital whatsoever really we were able to grow thanks to the power of our community so we developed our ambassador program and we now have over 50,000 people who are part of that ambassador program and they're people who are passionate about our mission and we send them on kind of a digital pathway and we also enable them to either download or to order physical marketing materials so posters and letters and flyers and things like that and so for us community provided us with a really high quality but low cost way to grow community is also um, a really powerful motivator for why people want to volunteer to become food waste heroes so they're the volunteers that are collecting and redistributing the uh, unsold food from supermarkets and corporate canteens, etc. So yes, I, I think that for me, kind of the magic is the intersection of technology, sustainability, and community, and that is how we get transformational change at scale. In um, so last year, twenty twenty one, you raised your Series B, and you mentioned that you you've had to raise funding in order to scale. So what, what I would love to ask you, Tessa, is like, what are five sort of essential questions that founders should be asking themselves when it comes to, you know, scaling up their business? So I think the first question to ask yourself is around timing, which is, is now the right time? Is your product being kind of 
pulled out of your hands um, because I think too often I see businesses fall into that temptation of scaling by throwing money at opening up a new market, for example, and getting that kind of cheap growth. And so I think it's really, really important to be honest with yourself about whether you really have got that sort of product market fit and it is now the right time to be starting that scaling journey or not, or perhaps you need some more product development or perhaps just the market needs to mature some more. I think the second question to ask yourself is whether you want to build versus buy, i.e. when you are scaling, you're having to create a ton of infrastructure and capabilities. And again, a lot of teams can have a default position of thinking they need to build everything themselves. And I think it's really important you focus just on building what is the true core USP to your business and you just buy in everything else. I think the third question to ask yourself is what, be honest with yourself about where you are in that scaling journey and what level and type of talent do you really need for this part in your journey? Because you'll have very high sort of staff turnover if you get the talent and the where you are in the journey mismatched. So you mustn't kind of get too far ahead of yourself, bring in perhaps someone who's you know got a ton of experience from a massive scale corporate when you're not not quite there yet. I think the fourth question you need to ask yourself is how fast do you want to scale? And if you want to scale really fast, then you're probably going to have more sort of capital fueled growth. Um, whereas if you're um, kind of uh, prepared to go slower, then you'll be probably doing much more efficiency fueled growth. And then the final, the fifth question is to ask yourself kind of what are the big bets that you are placing? You need to have sort of just a couple of those um, rather than sort of biting off more than you can chew. So an example of this would be trying to expand into multiple markets at the same time whilst developing uh, your, you know, your core product proposition. Um, you know, you're probably sort of biting off more than you can chew. But you've, you've moved into different regions as well. So that's that part of the, the growth strategy within within Olio. And what, what I'm like keen to hear is that I, given that I was in the food waste space before when I was um, at university, I'm really keen to hear what other countries are like with their attitude when it comes to food waste. So from your experience at expanding into different jurisdictions, firstly, what was the rationale behind that? And, and also what was the sort of like, I guess the experience of it, like what, what has anything surprised you? So the rationale behind international expansion really was, it was pull signals sort of from our users. I, because we created the ambassador program that I had mentioned, we had people signing up to become ambassadors all over the world. And so they were then spreading the word about earlier in their local community. And that is why we saw incredibly strong sharing networks popping up in countries as diverse as Singapore and Mexico, for example. And so we then did lots of sort of experimentation from group. We kind of followed the data. So we followed where we saw sharing taking place organically. In terms of the differences from market to market, I think the similarity is that all humans have this belief that food should be eaten, not thrown away. But where it is different is really in in the business side of things well actually sorry on the consumer side where it's different is the extent to which people already do or do not have informal sharing networks at their disposal so some 
countries, people are much more isolated from their local community versus other uh, countries. And then on the business side of things, it definitely does vary from country to country around whether there's any food waste regulation, for example, or targets as to how much that country wants to reduce food waste, uh, and also where businesses are in terms of their sustainability journey. So UK actually is is businesses are fairly pioneering in terms of being committed to tackling food waste, where there's some other markets where businesses are not seeing reducing food waste as a priority right now. That's really interesting to hear. Can you like shout out any like jurisdictions where you think they're they're pioneering as, as well as the UK that are doing like really well, really good stuff when it comes to the area of food waste? I mean, there's, there's sort of isolated pockets of, of stuff happening in, in various places. Uh, sort of, I think sort of broadly, the Nordics are just generally more kind of switched on to the importance of sustainability. Um, in the US, there's a lot of charitable redistribution that takes place there. Um, and then when you look at a sort of a government level, Canada, New Zealand, European Union, Ireland, the UK, they are all markets that in the last couple of months have released consultations looking to mandate that businesses should uh, publicly um, disclose their food waste data. And that's something we're incredibly excited about because the minute businesses have to disclose publicly how much food they are throwing away, that is when they start looking in earnest for solutions to the problem, which at the moment is taking place behind closed doors. We're going to wrap up the podcast fairly soon. Before we do, one of your sort of questions that founders should ask themselves when it comes to scaling up was about the team. I'm really interested for you guys at the at that pivotal moment that you're moving from a startup to a scale up, as you mentioned earlier in the, in the in the episode. Are you currently recruiting? And also, what sort of culture are you trying to build within the team that you're moving through this transition phase? So we've just been through a massive period of recruitment where we have almost doubled the size of the business. And that was really that transition from uh, generalists to specialists. We are still recruiting right now, but it, it's for sort of a handful of positions, mainly in our engineering team. In terms of the culture, that is something, Olio has always had a very magical culture. And obviously I'm the co-founder, so I <laughs> I might be a bit biased uh, in saying that, but actually we run regular employee satisfaction surveys and across all of those sort of culture metrics, you know, our average score is in the eight and a half to nine and a half realm. So we do have something very, very special here. And that's something that both Sasha and myself take very seriously. We've invested a ton of time and energy into building that. And really at the foundation of that are, are, are two things. One, making sure that we recruit people for true mission obsession. So not just mission alignment, mission obsession. And then the second thing is making sure that everything we do from recruitment to sort of 360 feedback to our day-to-day decision-making and prioritization is done by referencing back to our values. And we've just got four very, very simple but powerful values, uh, which are inclusive, resourceful, ambitious, and caring. And they have helped to really create a, a wonderful work environment. Lastly, given that we're in the market now where it seems like there is a downturn when it comes to raising investment and yep. I guess like, yeah, it's it's a very difficult atmosphere at the moment. What advice would you give to female founders that are listening to the podcast? Because I know a lot of them are 
you know, entrepreneurs looking to raise funding, push or like scale up their, their startup without funding. So how, how, what advice do you have to them in order to push through this really difficult time? I think the advice I would give starts off with being the advice I give to any founder, which is that you need to be preserving runway at all costs. And I listen to a lot of investor podcasts and that's really, really helpful because you can then temperature check their sentiment and you know, the podcast I was listening to just this morning was saying in light of now you know not only we've got the economy sort of imploding interest rates going up um, we've now got the crypto crash that's taking place and the podcast I was listening to this morning with some very very reputable Silicon Valley VCs was saying you know extend runway into 2025 so I think the first thing you've got to do as a founder is keep your business alive and so we need to all be moving from that sort of capital fuel growth to efficiency fuel growth type model. Then in terms of for uh, female founders specifically, uh, I actually wrote a piece for Sifted called Female Founders Need Money, Not Mentoring. And I shared um, quite a lot of our experience of fundraising there. Um, but I would definitely recommend all female founders watch a video by Dana Kanzi, which you can find uh, is a TED Talk. You can find that online. And there she shared the results of her research, which revealed that female founders are asked prevention questions by investors, which is all about the downside. You know, what happens if Google and Facebook come and kill you? Um, whereas male founders are asked what she referred to as promotion questions, which is all about the upside. How big can this grow? How fast can you move? And the solution to this challenge is to make sure that you answer your prevention questions with promotion responses. So there definitely are lots of things that you can do to try and mitigate the both conscious and unconscious biases that exist against you if you're a female founder or a diverse founder of, of any sort. That's an excellent tip. I've not actually heard that one before. So yeah, thank you so much for that. Yes. So before we wrap up the podcast, Tessa, let's go on to the quick fire questions and then we'll wrap it up. So firstly, if you could go to the pub with any entrepreneur, who would you choose? I would choose my co-founder, Sasha. Um, she's one of my best friends. Um, <laughs> we always have a fantastic time together. I learn a ton from her. Uh, so yeah, without a doubt, Sasha. That's a nice answer. That's a very nice answer. What's a startup you're loving at the moment and why? To be honest, um, I, I'm i not going to sort of name check any one startup, uh, but I will just give a big shout out to everyone who is working in the climate tech space. I was at COP27 last week and... It is terrifying, the situation that we all find ourselves in. And I'm just so inspired by every single entrepreneur who said, I'm sick and tired of being part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. And every day I am coming across climate tech startups that, that fill me with hope and joy and inspiration. That's amazing. Okay, last one. Fill in the blank. To be a founder, you must be. Resilient. It's a long, hard That's slog. A yeah, we had that one before. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's there are lots of other things. You know, you've got to be resilient. I think you've got to be an outstanding problem solver. I think you've got to be an optimist, you know, kind of glass half full type person. You've got to be adaptable and you've got to inspire others. Yeah, resilient, resilience is definitely a common one. And I, I definitely agree with you for sure. Like <laughs> it's probably the most important one, which is yeah. why it comes up the most, yeah. the most, the most common. All right. Thank you so much, Tessa, for coming on the podcast. That's 
a lot of different value in this episode. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate okay. you coming on. How can people stay in touch with you, Olio, going into the future? The best thing they can do is to go into the App Store or Google Play and search for Olio, O-L-I-O, and download the app and get sharing today. Our website is olioex.com and I'm at Tessa L.F. Clark on Twitter and you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tessa, for coming on the podcast again and I'm sure we'll chat very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. Have you subscribed to the podcast yet? If not, now is the time. We've got some fantastic episodes lined up for you this series, so keep an eye out. We'll be back with the next episode on the 6th of February. In the meantime, why don't you catch up on our previous episodes? Thanks so much for listening again and see you next time.